Okay, well, Mark 11, I want to focus to start with on this incident that we've got um, there about the, uh, the cursing of the fig tree. And well, let's uh, just read it there from verse 12. On the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if perhaps he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of you hereafter for ever. And his disciples heard it. And I want to just uh, think about that for a moment. There are times, I guess, when we feel that we are nothing and nobody, we're just used rather than needed, and we need to have that, uh, that sense that we are in fact needed and we are in fact important to, to God. Now, Jesus was hungry, verse 12, and hungry, uh, that Greek word really implies starving hungry, he was ravenous. And he sees this fig tree far away and he walks towards it. He knows that it's not the time for figs. He's not going to find uh, anything uh, there really that he can eat. But he was so hungry, he knew that there should at least be immature, unripe figs on that tree. And he was so hungry, he was prepared to eat that. Now, that fig tree represents, according to plenty of Old Testament uh, indications, uh, Israel. And the fruit on the tree represents spiritual fruit. And in Luke 13 verse 6 you've got I think the uh, encouragement to understand the uh, the fig tree and the fruit on it as spiritual fruit on Israel. In Luke 13 verse 6 you've got the parable of the fig tree planted in the vineyard and the man comes seeking fruit thereon and the man who comes is uh, God I think in this parable in Luke 13 and he doesn't find any, and he says to the dresser of his vineyard, who is Jesus, for three years I've come seeking fruit, and I don't find it on this fig tree, so cut it down. And the dresser of the fig tree, which is of the vineyard, which is Jesus, says to him, Lord, let it alone this year also, the final half year of the Lord's ministry, until I shall dig about it, and if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after that you shall cut it down. So then, Jesus, on God's behalf, was coming to the fig tree of Israel looking for fruit, looking for some spirituality. Now, in that, I think we see a marvelous thing. We see that God is in search of man. And we may say that we are in search of God, and that, you know, people say, well, I searched for the truth for years, and then I found it in my 40s or whatever. And that, that is so, but God is also in search of man. And there is this amazing passage in Jeremiah where God tells Jeremiah on behalf of himself to go into the squares and into the streets of Jerusalem and search and see if he can find a man who will stand, as it were, in the gap. So then God is not passive in heaven. God is actively searching in all the thousands of people that may pass by you as you stand, let's say, at a busy spot in a city centre and people are rushing out of a train station or, or a, a, a metro station or whatever, all those thousands of people, God is searching. You fly into a city in an aeroplane and, and you see the big apartment blocks and you think, wow, there must be thousands and thousands of people down there. And God is in search of man in each of those people. And 
when he, as it were, finds somebody, and that person in their, from their earthly perspective is searching for him, when they meet, there is a synergy, there is a, a real meeting of heaven and earth. And that is, uh, I think, why the Lord can talk about when one person repents, there is a, a party in heaven. So then, Jesus on God's behalf was coming, searching for fruit, for spirituality, just as he does to us. And he was prepared not to have the real thing. He was so hungering for this that even the most immature, unripe fig he would have eaten. He was starving. But instead on Israel he found leaves. Now if there's leaves, there should also be the, the immature beginnings of the unripe fruit. But on this fig tree he found only leaves. There was not even the little beginnings of unripe, immature figs. And this, of course, is a picture of Israel, a great a promise from a distance of spirituality, and yet when you got there, there was actually nothing. I think what we see from that is that whilst, of course, God and Jesus are looking for real serious fruit, they will be satisfied, such is their hunger, with the most immature kind of fruit which there is. And that is an encouragement to us personally as we, we look at our lives and we, we see how it seems far away we are from spirituality and from the, the maturity which we would love to have. And yet it's also, I think, a lesson that we should likewise be tolerant to others. One thing that all human beings, and that includes you, uh, that all human beings are very, very quick to pick up on is others' spiritual immat <clears throat> immaturity. She doesn't get it. He really doesn't understand. Uh, he's not even a Christian. He says he is, he shows he is, but he's not really. You know, in all those unkind comments that we can make, we have to remember that God is actually satisfied, in one sense, with very little spiritually. In another sense, he he is, of course, looking for the real thing. And it's a difficult uh, balance, and we cannot, I suppose, ultimately judge what God sees as acceptable fruit and what he doesn't. But what we can learn, I think, very clearly, is that he has a ravening hunger for spirituality, for any spirituality. And so, when somebody holds themselves back one night in an apartment block from dashing off an angry email in response to uh, a provocation that they've received, when somebody bites their lip and, and doesn't say what they might say in, in a family uh, point of tension, when somebody just thinks, yeah, look, I, I will, uh, I'll send that guy uh, $10, $20, just, uh, you know, a relatively small sum, um, because I see the guy's got a problem, or, or whatever. In those little moments of decision that we make, you know, we are thrilling God, because he is so hungry for, for spirituality and for connection with us. And, of course, trying to look at it from God's perspective, I mean, he attempts to work with millions of people, the vast majority of whom do not want to know the vast majority of whom shrug their shoulders and, and walk on and say, no, I'm not interested. So when he looks into our lives and he sees our feeble responses to him nudging us, as it were, towards spirituality, I think he's thrilled. 
Um, that doesn't mean that we can rest on our laurels and think, yeah, well, you know, I do make an occasional effort now and again. And apparently he's very happy with that, so I'm, a, I'm okay. I can just uh, get on with the rest of my life uh, and just occasionally give something to God. No, of course that isn't right, and that's not what I'm trying to teach. Uh, I think the other way, in fact, that if this is really the case and that God is thrilled by even the, the smallest beginnings of spirituality, then we really should be motivated, of course, to, to drive on to maturity. So then the Lord curses this fig tree because he finds no fruit at all and it withered. And the same word for withered is found in another parable of trees in John 15 verse 6 where Jesus talks about the, uh, the withering of those rejected at the last day, that they will be cut off from, their, uh, from the vine and they will wither and be cast forth uh, and, and burnt up. And so I guess you could say the, the cursing of the fig tree look forward to what happened in, in AD 70. And uh, yet he, he was hoping, as I say, that he would find something, however immature, and this idea of immature fruit, I think, is picking up something we've got in Isaiah 65, verses 8 and 9. And I'll just read that. Isaiah 65, 8 and 9. As the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servants' sake, that I may not destroy them all. And I will bring forth a seed, that's Jesus, out of Jacob, and mine intellectual inheritance, and my servants shall dwell there. So then, because of the seed, Jesus, and because of the elect, Israel, God's true Israel, uh, that somehow like new wine found within the cluster, and they say, no, destroy it not, don't destroy the whole thing, because there is a blessing somewhere within it. So it seems that for the sake of a minority, maybe that destruction, that withering of the, the fig tree of Israel in AD 70 was, was avoidable. But it seems that even that was not, was not there. Now he says there in verse uh, 14 of Mark 11, May no man eat fruit of you forever. And that was directed to Israel. That the fig tree of Israel was to wither and to be destroyed and cursed, and no man would ever eat fruit of Israel forever. And yet, the Lord Jesus, who was the Word made flesh, knew surely... Isaiah, 26, uh, Isaiah 27 verse 6 that one day Israel will fill the face of the earth with fruit and her fruit will be eaten by all nations and you have that really picked up I think at the end of uh, Revelation there with, with the idea of, of the fruit of God's tree being eaten by people worldwide and taking a blessing now what are we to do with this I think that this cursing of the fig tree was in the, in the spirit of those Old Testament statements where God sort of permanently curses Israel. And there are a whole load of passages which would, could be taken to mean that God is finished with Israel. And I admit to not being quite sure how to really interpret them and get the balance right. But there are all those passages which do seem to say that, you know, I have cast away my people. And yet, we also know, Paul in Romans, uh, Romans 11, that God has not cast away his people and will not cast them away. And that, 
You know, at the end of Hosea, God protests his eternal love for Israel. And yet he says that in Hosea 11 verse 8 that his repentings, his changes of mind are kindled together as he struggles within himself to give up his people or not to give them up. And so, yes, on one hand, yes, God and Jesus can eternally curse the fig tree and say, Israel, that's the end with you. No one will ever eat your fruit again. And yet, Israel will blossom and bud and fill the face of the earth with fruit. And I think you see there the, the passion of God, that the God whose word is certain is so passionately involved with us that he can say on one hand, I have nothing more to do with you, uh, and that's the end with you, and yet on the other hand he can say, I love you to the end, and I'm with you to the end, and I will eventually use you again, and, and cause you to blossom and, and bear fruit again. Just as in the relationship between Hosea and Gomer, which is clearly a, a picture of God's relationship with Israel, one minute he's saying, I love you to the end, and I, I love you with an undying love, and yet the next minute he's saying, I will slay your children with thirst. I will basically strip you naked and throw you into the scrubland, and you shall die, uh, and that will be your problem. And then he talks about uh, some remarriage, that the, fantasizing about a remarriage with them, and that maybe again she will have his children, etc., etc. Now, this, uh, I, I hesitate to, to, to find the right words really, but I think it indicates, let's say, a struggle within God. And the idea that God is angry with the wicked and just in, in wrath will cast, uh, cast them away is only part of the picture. That is going to be the final reality with some, and let's not forget that. But for each of those people, that decision that has come to is the result of absolutely heart-wrenching agony of decision within the mind of God himself. And the anger of God is such, and the wrath of God, and the passion of God is such, that he does say things at times about Israel which um, are, are very, very tough and sound very permanent, and yet in fact they will not be. Now, this is not to say that God is fickle and that God is not serious and is not to be taken at his word. And yet, if you see what I'm saying, if you take that too far, you can end up thinking that God is just uh, almost like a, a robot, a, a computer that's uh, mindlessly uh, processing a situation and saying, yes, well, the result of that situation is that you will be eternally condemned, and there you are, there is your condemnation, uh, there is your automatically generated letter that says you're finished with. But I know his word is true, and we are to, to take him at his word in, in one sense. In another sense, his uh, passion for us is such that the God who does not change, in one sense, does change. And, uh, as I say, getting the right words here is um, difficult. But you've also got to put this together with an incident that comes very soon after Mark 11 chronologically in terms of time and that is the Olivet Prophecy where at the end of the Olivet Prophecy and it's clearest in Luke 21, 29 and 30 Jesus says that the fig tree bearing fruit 
is going to be the sign of, of his coming, and the generation that sees that will not pass. Now, that I, I would interpret in, in line with uh, the fig tree being Israel and the fruit on the fig tree being spiritual fruit. I would take that as meaning that there will be spiritual fruit within Israel, and that when there is that fruit, and that obviously involves uh, repentance for the crucifixion of, of Jesus, acceptance of Jesus, um, when that is seen amongst Israel, either geographically within Israel or amongst the Jewish diaspora worldwide, then that is the clinching sign <clears throat> that the generation that sees that will not pass until the Lord is back. And yet he said here that that shall never happen. You see what I'm saying? That it's not that uh, it's a contradiction and therefore the Bible is not true. Quite the opposite, I would say. This is, in fact, a, a unique window into the extent to which God is for real and God is serious. And that he, he does have these passionate feelings and he expresses them. And yet, he, in the end, his hope in us, his love, his grace, his desire to save, is, in the final picture, greater than his need to condemn his um, his wrath with with human sin and, and, and fruitlessness now just going on with this uh, incident verse 20 in the morning as they passed by they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots and 21 Peter calling to remembrance saith unto Jesus master behold the fig tree which you cursed is withered away and how does Jesus answer he says, verse 22, You have faith in God. Because whoever shall say unto this mountain, and he is probably beckoning towards Mount Zion, uh, the Temple Mount, uh, whoever shall say unto this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says. Therefore I say unto you, Whatever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive or have already received them, and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive. Now, <clears throat> the disciples were like, wow, Jesus, you said yesterday that that fig tree was to be cursed and, and withered, and here we are in the morning, it's withered away. Wow, Jesus, you're amazing. You've really got faith and power and relationship with God. Wow. And Jesus is saying, as he so often does, don't separate yourselves from myself. You're standing there, Peter, looking at me, shaking your head in wonder and saying, wow, you've got such faith, Jesus. Your prayers and your statements are just amazing. And Jesus is saying, look, 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 look. You can do the same Whatever you desire, verse 24, when you pray, just as I prayed about the fig tree, believe that you've already received it and you will have it. And so I think the emphasis there in those verses I just read from 22 to 25 is on the word you. When you stand praying, forgive. Whatever you desire, when you pray, believe that you've already received it. Whenever, uh, if you should say, to this mountain be removed it will be cast into the sea truly I'm telling you 23, 22 you have faith in God 
And so, as we're here to remember the Lord Jesus, we, we inevitably tend to, to see a disconnect, a, a gap, a, a big gap between him there, 2,000 years ago, particularly in, the time of, in his time of dying, and us here today. And we tend to see this as history, and nothing more. And yet all the time he is urging them, and uh, we're out of time, but uh, there's a, a, a lot of uh, examples of this in the Gospels. All the time he is urging them, do not be like that. Do not see me and my uh, spiritual achievements as somehow disconnected from your possibilities. You can not only do what I did with that fig tree, but you can do far more. I cursed the fig tree, I prayed, and the implication is that he prayed to God to curse the fig tree, and yes, it withered the next day. You can do far more than that. You can take this Mount Zion and throw it into the sea of the Gentiles. That's, you know, I, I, I did this to, uh, to the fig tree representing Israel. This mountain, this Mount Zion, also is the uh, classic symbol of, of Israel and Judaism. Y you, can, you can shift that just as I made that fig tree wither. And so, this is where it all becomes somewhat demanding, that he is not, as it were, an icon, as it is in Catholicism and, and, and Russian Orthodoxy, a beautiful icon that you look at and think, wow, how beautiful, how pretty, how nice is that, and how wonderful was Jesus. But where it gets a bit more than that sort of uh, surface level aesthetic kind of stuff is when we realize that he was human that he was of our nature and our representative and therefore all that was true of him can be true of us I know that by being in Christ as Paul says in Romans we are counted as Christ but the point of, of Romans 8 I think is to say that look I've spent uh, seven chapters trying to tell you guys that you really are counted right, justified, because you are in Christ and God counts you as if you are Jesus. But now, in your minds, in the life of faith, in the spiritual life, you also should try to go out and live in reality, in practice, who you are by status. And that is, ultimately, the challenge of Jesus.